back to Ball with Y'all. We are so excited to join y'all on yet another Monday. Last week, we had some technical difficulties. Our episode that was supposed to go out on Thursday, it ended up going out on Saturday, but that's okay. Hopefully, you got to listen a little bit to our predictions and so on. Well, hopefully, you didn't actually listen to the predictions because we got every single one of those predictions wrong, but still, hope you got to listen a little bit before the game's kicked off. When we last talked, I talked about some big-time matchups that would define the season. And we did get some definition to the season, but many of those big games were also pretty one-sided. Before we discuss the action, I want to encourage you all to like, subscribe, rate, and review if your preferred platform allows. If you are a fan of us here at Ball With Y'all, you can also send us your thoughts, your hot takes, your questions, all that kind of fun stuff using the email in the description. And you can check us out on Instagram as well, at Ball With Y'all Podcast. And that is the best way to stay in touch with us if we ever deal with technical difficulties. Again, speaking of technical difficulties, quick reference to something that happened this weekend. It affected many of many members in our fan base. Uh, if you are a subscriber to Xfinity, to Comcast, I am so sorry for what you endured. I was one, or I am one, who uh, also experienced this. We, we couldn't watch football for about three hours on Saturday. We missed basically the entire Georgia-Arkansas game. I guess we got to see uh, the first quarter or so. We didn't get to see the first drive or two between Alabama and Ole Miss. Uh, very, very unfortunate. You know, I think of all times for the for the Internet service or the cable service to go down. It is the absolute worst time to do it on a football Saturday in the fall. So if you are an Xfinity user like myself, hopefully you are looking to switch your subscription here in the near future. I can promise you, hopefully by the end of the football season, I will have a new cable provider. But that's enough about that. Like always, there was a lot that happened this weekend. We saw some upsets. We saw some blowouts. We had nine ranked teams go down, and four of those were in the top 10, including one that none of us saw coming out in California. Let's break down all of our leading storylines from Saturday with this week's weekend wind down. First off, I think we saw this pretty clearly this past weekend. It's Alabama, it's Georgia, and then it's everyone else. For a while, it's been it's been a handful of teams at the top. You think of the Clemsons, the Oklahomas, the Oregons, the Ohio States. And even in the SEC, you think of the Floridas, the LSUs, the Auburns, and so on. It's been a few teams at the top. It hasn't just been like a couple folks. But now it's very clear that in the SEC and across the country as well, there are two prominent front runners. Georgia, they wasted little time dispensing of Arkansas this past weekend. Game day was in town in Athens, and they went out there and won 37-0. This is Georgia's second straight shutout. They only have allowed... 23 points on the year. What was really interesting was that Georgia, their their quarterback, Stetson Bennett, started the game. It wasn't JT Daniels. JT Daniels was dealing with a little bit of a, a lat injury going into the game, but it didn't really matter. Georgia, they from a special team standpoint, they won the game from an offensive standpoint, running the ball, and we'll talk a little bit about it here. Uh, Georgia, after a punt block for a touchdown, they were covering the spread before the end of the first quarter. Does that ring a bell? That was the exact same scenario a week ago when they played against Vanderbilt. They had 273 yards rushing in the game, and Stetson Bennett, he only had to throw the ball a few times. It wasn't really a moment where he had any pressure on him, and I think going into the game, I kind of talked about a little bit last week, the expectation was that you would kind of get to see how that team would handle pressure. We're seeing now Clemson's not good. We already know how good UAB is, how good South Carolina is, how good Vanderbilt is. Their resume to this point had not been that impressive. So someone like myself was coming into this game saying, hey, I would love to see how good Georgia is, particularly in a pressurized moment. Game day is in town. Kirby Smart has already said that we need the fans to show up and to show out. And they took care of business and they did it pretty seamlessly. Again, 273 yards rushing 
in the game. It was a hard-nosed approach, an old-school football game for Georgia. The defense crushed the soul of Arkansas, and their running game absolutely ran wild. On the Arkansas side of things, penalties absolutely killed them. The crowd noise got to them, their nerves got to them. There were a number of mistakes that put them behind the chains pretty early on, and it made things difficult for K.J. Jefferson. When you're a run-first team, you can't afford to be in a a first and 20, a second and 24 situation, a third and 12 situation. And when you're put in that position early on in the game, it's so deflating to realize that you can't move the ball, particularly when it goes against the thesis of your offensive attack. In the game, Arkansas only had 162 yards. They came into the game averaging more than 480 yards per game. They came out slow, like I mentioned, only two yards on the first six plays on the offensive side of the ball. And they only had five first downs through the first three quarters. The defense, it improved as the game went on for the Razorbacks, but the offense never actually did the same. Now, here's the thing. Arkansas is a good team. I firmly believe that Arkansas is still a, a prominent contender in the SEC. I don't necessarily know that they're a contender for the SEC Championship or for the SEC West at this point in time, but they're still a very good team. And Sam Pittman has done incredible things with that program. But there's a clear distinction right now between good and great in the SEC. And the same thing took place in Tuscaloosa when Alabama took on Ole Miss. We saw Alabama, they took advantage of Ole Miss's mistakes, and they never looked back, winning 42-21. to Ole Miss, early on, they, they were going for it on fourth down. They attempted six fourth downs in the game, and the early attempts, the early failed attempts, swung momentum. Rather than kicking field goals or punting the ball, Kiffin continued to go for it. He trusted analytics, and normally... That works out, but in this case, it misguided him. And then very quickly, Ole Miss fell behind big. They were down 28-0 at half, and they could never muster enough, whether it was on the defensive side of the ball or the offensive side of the ball, to make it competitive. They had a number of mistakes, like I mentioned. They entered the game as the 117th worst team in relation to penalties. And in the game, on Saturday, they got flagged another eight times. And keep in mind, they've been flagged 30 times throughout the year, and they'd only played three games to that point. So they are basically pushing their average at that point in time in this game this past Saturday. On the Alabama side, Coach Saban is now 24-0 against former assistants. Uh, many of us thought that at some point in time, Kiffin would get it, that he would take him down, and that certainly was not the case. Alabama, on the defensive side, they held Ole Miss to 291 yards, which is the lowest of the Kiffin era by more than 150 yards at Ole Miss. The defense also held Ole Miss to 78 rushing yards when they had been averaging more than 200. The defensive line went out there and they allowed basically zero vertical lanes for the rushing attack to actually affect that game. As far as Alabama's offense, they had 50 rushing attempts, which is the most for the Crimson Tide since 2017 when they beat Tennessee. It was a big day for Brian Robinson Jr. He had 36 carries, 171 yards, and four touchdowns, and he also won the Walter Camp National Offensive Player of the Week Award. On the quarterback side of things, Bryce Young, he was very efficient. 20 for 26, 241 yards, two touchdowns, and an interception. He definitely outperformed Matt Corral in what appeared to be a Heisman competition pretty early on in the season. This is Alabama's 19th straight victory, and they went out there and showed us exactly what we wanted and what we needed to see from the number one team in the country. Like I said, Ole Miss is good, just like Arkansas. They're good. But there is a very clear distinction, once again, between good and great in the SEC and across the country. Alabama, two weeks ago, we thought they were super vulnerable. We heard a number of, of Alabama fans, of folks in the media saying that Alabama is vulnerable. 
and that this could be the opportunity, this could be the year where we actually see some change at the top of the leaderboard. Right now, we see pretty clearly that it's Alabama and it's Georgia, and that's it. The gap between Alabama and Georgia, it's pretty distinct. I like to think about those commercials from AT&T about a year or two ago, and uh, the whole theme was that just okay is not okay, and you would think of a surgeon who was nervous before surgery but said that he's all right, he's good for the surgery. You saw a boy band who, they didn't dance, they just sang, which I guess in theory, okay, but not okay. Or a tattoo artist with minimal experience. Well, I could probably still get the tattoo, but is it is it going to be what I want, right? In theory, all of those things were okay, and that was the whole point of AT&T's spiel. They wanted to make sure that, yeah, your service is okay, but is okay, is just okay, good enough. In each of those cases, just okay was not ideal in each of those settings. And the same is true at the top of the SEC and across the nation. There are a lot of good teams. But just good is not good enough right now. You have to be great to beat Georgia. You have to be great to beat Alabama. There are only two great teams in the country right now, and they are in Athens, and they are in Tuscaloosa. We thought Arkansas was great. They've risen up the leaderboard. They were number eight in the country. They were just good. Ole Miss, we had a lot of expectations coming into the year. Matt Corral, he could win the Heisman. Lane Kiffin is in there. He's doing incredible things in year two for Ole Miss. But they're just good. They're not great. And I think that theme is being repeated throughout the country right now. You're looking at how Oregon struggled. We'll talk about them here in a bit. Ohio State, they're not great right now. Oklahoma, they, I don't think they've had a game where they've actually won by a sizable margin against a notable team this year. There are a number of teams that are good right now, but I don't think there are any great teams beyond Georgia and Alabama. And it seems like we already know who we're going to be seeing playing for a championship come January. Speaking of playing for a championship, our other main takeaway as part of our weekend wind down here is that the biggest winner of the week was the Cincinnati Bearcats. Cincinnati, they are now sitting in prime position for consideration in the college football playoff. They ended Notre Dame's home win streak of 26 straight games this past weekend, winning 24-13. to On the Notre Dame side of things, their inconsistency on the offensive side of the ball, once again, it came back to bite them here. The offensive line continues to be an area of concern, regardless of who the quarterback is. But their defense, for a moment there, looked like it was going to save them. It gave them a spark in the second half. I believe there was a fumble return for a touchdown for the Fighting Irish. Unlike last week, though, all of Notre Dame's quarterbacks were ineffective. They played three different quarterbacks in the game this past weekend against Cincinnati, and it was far from pretty. Drew Pine, he came in there for a little bit, but even still did not give the Fighting Irish enough to mount a comeback. And if Notre Dame doesn't fix that quarterback situation in the near future, they just might lose back-to-back games with them going to visit Virginia Tech this weekend. Cincinnati, they came out strong after a slow start in South Bend. They ended up going into halftime up 17-0. They did force three first-half turnovers, and that kind of, to the point of the whole Arkansas game as well, it put Notre Dame off their schedule. And when you do that, you all of a sudden, you get first off, you give your defense an incredible amount of motivation but also you're able to do what you want to do on the offensive side of the ball, give your offense incredible field position as a result. At the end of the day, Cincinnati, like I said, won the game. They beat the highest ranked opponent on the road in school history, and they became the first group of five team in the college football playoff era to win on the road against an AP top 10 team. Like we talked about last week, Cincinnati, they needed this game. They needed to win that game. They needed to impress us. They needed to show us that they can be taken seriously. And now their resume is actually somewhat notable. We talked about it before, how last year Cincinnati didn't have a notable win on their schedule. 
or UCF in 2017. They didn't have a notable win on their schedule, and that's a result of who they are and where they're at, where the conference that they're in and so on. And here we are now. Cincinnati has a notable win on their schedule. We don't really know what Notre Dame will actually turn out to be come end of season, but even still right now as we sit here, they're pretty impressive. While they won't get another win on their schedule that will actually tell us any more about the program, early on right now we were able to see just how good Cincinnati could be and that they could actually play with some of the teams at the top. Well, I don't necessarily know they can play with the Alabamas and the Georgias. We just kind of talked about that here. They showed us that they are for real and that they can be taken seriously. And we've never really known that from a group of five team until this exact moment. So a big moment for Cincinnati. Oregon's loss on Saturday also helped Cincinnati's case a good bit. If you didn't see Oregon, they lost to Stanford in overtime. And it was an incredible game. They started out slow. They overcame a double-digit deficit at one point in time before getting to overtime. Their star defender, Kayvon Thibodeau, he actually went out late as a result of targeting, so he'll actually miss the first half of their next game against the Cal Bears as well. Losing Thibodeau actually set up the foundation for Stanford to make their comeback toward the end. They actually scored a touchdown as time expired in regulation, and then another one on the opening drive of overtime. It's the first time this year that Stanford has had back-to-back scoring drives. On the Oregon side, a number of injuries to note. Their lead running back, C.J. Verdell, he was carted off. They also lost linebacker Noah Sewell during the game as well. This is Stanford's first win over a top-three team since they beat the same Oregon team in 2013. Oregon was number two at that point in time. If Oregon wants to be considered in the college football playoff conversation moving forward, they will likely have to run the table at least to just be even mentioned in that conversation. But even still, the question remains as to whether the Pac-12 is good enough to actually get them to that point in time. So it's very all theoretical at this point. But it opens the door for Cincinnati without a doubt. And other teams failing and struggling and losing also help Cincinnati because, like I said, there's not a whole lot at this point in time that Cincinnati can do to further impress us. They just got the best win on their schedule, and it's the first weekend of October. They can't do anything else. None of their games upcoming are going to impress us any more than this past weekend did. So now, the best thing that they can hope for is that the teams ahead of them continue to fail and that no one jumps them in the AP poll. Speaking of the AP poll, we had a number of changes in the AP poll that came out yesterday. We saw Alabama and Georgia. They held firm at the top once again. Iowa, they are now number three, jumping Penn State after dominating Maryland on Friday. Cincinnati, we just talked about them. They moved up a little bit to number five after their big win in South Bend, Oregon. They fell only five spots after their overtime loss in Palo Alto. Michigan and BYU, who are both undefeated, are now sitting squarely in the top 10 at number 9 and number 10, respectively. Arkansas and Ole Miss both slipped after their losses to number 13 and number 17, respectively. Florida plummeted down the rankings after their loss at Kentucky, dropping 10 spots to now being number 20. There are seven SEC teams ranked in the top 25, but only two of them are in the top 12. There are some new entrants in the top 25. Kentucky! For the first time, they are ranked this year at number 16, sitting 5-0. Next up, they face off with the LSU Tigers with a chance to go 6-0 before later this month facing off against Georgia for sole possession of first place in the SEC East. We also saw Texas now being ranked once again at number 21, Arizona State at number 22. You might recall that we picked Arizona State to win the Pac-12 this year. In fact, they are winning their division right now in the Pac-12, so that pick might still be sitting out there in good shape. Southern Methodist is now at number 24, and San Diego State sitting at number 25. There are two teams, though, that I did not just mention. Who's missing? Well, the Clemson Tigers, for the first time since 2014, 
are not ranked. They did beat Boston College this past weekend, but it was not pretty to say the least. I believe the final score was 19 to 13 or something along those lines. And Clemson was a 14 point favorite in that game. I said we were going to learn a lot about Clemson going into that game. We learned that they're not that good. And now they are not ranked in the top 25. We also saw Texas A&M after their loss against Mississippi State. They are also not ranked, which is not good for them considering who the next opponent is, the Alabama Crimson Tide. As far as other notable results from this past weekend, we saw Florida go on the road, play against Kentucky, and Kentucky for the first time since 1986 winning at home against the Florida Gators. Final score, 20-13, Kentucky. Kentucky had lost 16 straight at home against Florida, 33 of their last 34 against Florida, and they had also lost 15 straight against AP Top 10 teams. For Florida, they were incredibly undisciplined. They had eight false start penalties, 15 total penalties for 115 yards. That's the most penalties for the Gators since their 2017 game against Georgia. Emory Jones for the Gators, the quarterback, he looked horrendous in the second half. And Anthony Richardson, the backup, he actually showed up a little bit. He played a little bit for the first time since their game against South Florida in week two. So you might think, maybe, that the door might still be open for Anthony Richardson to play some substantial minutes moving forward. Dan Mullen is now the first Gators coach to lose twice to Kentucky since Doug Dickey in 1977 and 1978. Kentucky, their defense was consistent throughout the night, keeping Emory Jones at bay and keeping him from any big plays. The Kentucky, though, they hit a few big plays themselves, a screen pass that went for a long touchdown, and they also had that big blocked field goal that was returned for a long touchdown. I believe it was 76 yards or somewhere in that neighborhood. Florida probably should have won the game, but they cost themselves throughout the game a number of times with mistakes a lot like Ole Miss we talked about earlier kept costing themselves kept shooting themselves in the foot and what's interesting is normally Kentucky is the one that's doing that Kentucky is the one that's turning the ball over and so on and they've been narrowly escaping to this point in time but here we are and Florida went out there they were not the same team that we saw nearly beat Alabama two weeks ago now while Kentucky will get fined for storming the field after their big win against the Gators this is probably the biggest win in Mark Stoops's career for Kentucky. And he probably should be considered as a potential coach of the year candidate against someone like a Sam Pittman for Arkansas and so on. On the Florida side of things, their college football playoff hopes are gone. Their SEC championship hopes are gone. I don't know where you go from here. Yeah, and you also, what's really interesting, you think about what they have upcoming. Next up, they've got Vanderbilt. Okay, lick your wounds, move on. Then you've got to go visit LSU. Then you got a bye week. You have to play Georgia in that neutral site game in Jacksonville. So you need to fix some things. You need to fix it fast if you're the Gators. And it wasn't the quarterback play per se. Yes, Emory Jones did not do well, but it was the mistakes. Florida should have won that game. They had so many false start penalties. They had so many holding calls and so on. Should not have been remotely in that position. But you make the mistakes that you do, and you end up losing the game. Moving forward, you've got Vanderbilt. You'll get to reset and so on. But you need that because you got LSU up next after that. I would not want to be a Gators fan right now. Speaking of not wanting to be somebody's fan, I also would not have wanted to be an LSU fan waking up on Sunday morning. They lost to the Auburn Tigers for the first time at home since 1999. For Auburn, this is their biggest win for head coach Brian Harson, and it's much needed given who they have up next. They have Georgia coming to town only a few days from now. They needed this game. Bo Nix went out there. He was absolutely ridiculous. Houdini-like. 
And it honestly, getting benched might have lit a spark underneath him. He went 23 or 44, 255 yards and a touchdown. And he also hurt the Tigers, the LSU Tigers on the ground as well with his legs. Bo Nix, he broke tackles, he slipped away when all looked bleak, and he made some pretty Johnny Menzel-like plays, all while avoiding sacks in the backfield. Nix was running sideline to sideline all throughout the game to keep his team alive. It was really interesting, there were a number of drop passes pretty early on in the game, and it had me thinking about that firing only a few days ago. They fired, oh, what was it, their wide receivers coach? And then you had all these drop passes, but even still, they survived. On the LSU side of the ball, Derek Stingley Jr., their Star defensive back. He did not play, of course. Once again, he's still dealing with that injury. LSU, they were leading 19-10 to going into the fourth quarter. And I had honestly expected Tiger Stadium to play a more prominent role, that crowd to play a more prominent role to impact the game more than they did. This is the first time in quite some time that they played an SEC team with full capacity, and it didn't really matter. And I, of course, a few weeks ago, we saw Auburn play at Penn State, and that same crowd didn't really affect Bo Nix either. So I don't necessarily know if it's a Bo Nix thing or if it's an Auburn thing, if they're just comfortable in these environments, but I would have expected Tiger Stadium to have a bigger impact, particularly in that moment when the game's tight and so on. With their upcoming schedule, Orgeron, he is firmly on the hot seat once again. Like I mentioned earlier, they have Kentucky up next. After that, they have to host Florida, visit Ole Miss, a bye, and then they have to go visit Alabama and host Arkansas. The schedule doesn't get any easier here. And if I'm an LSU fan, I am once again considering, will I have a new coach entering the 2022 season? As you can tell, week five gave us a lot to think about. And once again, we have a clear picture of the playoff as we near the midpoint of the season. Looking ahead to next week, it certainly looks like we'll have more of the same with a number of notable games for teams at the top of the rankings. Remember to join us on Thursday as we preview those matchups and be sure to subscribe so you do not miss an episode. Have a great Monday and as always, thank you for allowing us to kick off your week by talking some ball with y'all.